Hello there, gentle listener. This is Omen Said. And this is Nick McGill. Together, as you probably know, we are Feckless Momes. And we are here to talk, talk, tall to me, to you. <laughs> that's, that's right. We are recording this in the future of the tall, the talk tall to me progression. And we wanted to cast our voices backwards to where you are to tell you about something exciting that didn't exist when we were recording this episode, which you're about to enjoy. Yeah, so so we have a Patreon. And, and I know everybody has Patreons. Everybody has a monthly subscription. So I'm not going to sit here and beg and plead. But what we are going to do is... I'll beg and plead, Nick. Omen will beg and plead. But we're, we want to describe to you what you get with the Patreon to maybe entice you to join in the fun a little bit early uh, before, uh, rather than waiting to get to the episodes where we talk about our Patreon in the future, but that's our past, your future. That's right. At the $1 amount, you get a lovely feeling. It's it's warm. It's fuzzy. Uh, I would I would liken it to butterflies upon your chest. Yeah. And for the $5 amount, you get the real goods, sis. Oh, mercy. You get access. The big thing is you get access to our Discord. And that is where you can talk tall yourself to your heart's content along with all the other tall skulls who have subscribed. There are some lovely people literally from all over the world there who chat about Jethro Tull, their cats. Food. Tull news, Prague. Music. Not just Tull. Additional music. The episodes at hand, they tell us all the things we've done wrong. Uh-huh. You too can tell us what we've done wrong. Yeah. Well, you can do that for free. Yeah. In addition to that, it also grants you access to two additional podcasts. And if that's right. If you subscribe now, you do have access to the back catalog and we'll get the new ones as they come out. I mean, what what are those what are those podcasts? Uh well, one of them is Talk Tall with me. Where uh-huh. we talk tall about the correspondence that we have from our listeners. We got so much correspondence, we had to create a whole new podcast just dedicated to that. So we talk about things from the Discord, things that people have written us. And the other one, Nick, is... Outtake Tull to me. That is my personal favorite. That is just all of the cutting room floor garbage that we could not fit into an actual podcast, but I can't throw away because it's a biohazard. So I have to do something with it. (laughs) Zero nutritional value, now with flavor, and just a little treat for you to enjoy. Don't tell your dentist. New and, what's the opposite of improved? Worsened. New and worsened flavor, I would take (laughs) tell to me. So that's what you get. You also, there are other fun things we do. Uh, we occasionally do a, a live listening party where we yeah. listen with other people on who are Patreon subscribers to a live tall recording. We sometimes have had votes on merch. So it's an ongoing community. It's a lot of fun. And we highly recommend that you join. We invite you. We humbly invite you to join us on the Patreon and enjoy. And enjoy. Laborers and landowners, prepare a pudding made from hard sheep's loin fat, suffer through your yearly bath, and lose your senses to the dulcet sound of cat gut strings. Because it's time to talk toe to me. Is that a a cat? Yeah, it was a cat. Stole its guts. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Talk Tall to Me. I am Owen Sade. And I am Nick McGill. Together we are Feckless Moms. And this is Talk Tall to Me. An evening of saucy entertainment in the dukedom of Prague Rock, brought to you by the Troubadours of Tull. We will strum on the lute of supposition, beat upon the tambour of truthfulness, and try to escape the malevolent gaze of the evil forest witch, Ian Anderson. <laughs> he stole my husband. <laughs> he stole my sense and my maidenhood. <laughs> so 
So, fun fact, I learned what cat gut strings are the other day. Uh, am I going to be shocked? Mm. Are they made of cat guts? No. No, they're not. Oh. So, little background. The, at Amberations, the little non-for-profit barn next door, they, they had their fall festival. And who played there but Bells and Motley? Do you remember Bells and Motley? Oh, I sure do. Yeah. They're a wonderful early music uh, ensemble of two. That's right. Rook adored them. We sat down and 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 watched them for about an, an hour and a half, and it was just me and Rook. So so Sandra was like talking to us and teaching us, and Rook was in, in rap. Wow. But she they pulled out a bow that had horsehair strings, and I asked about well well what what about what about cat guts? What's that? Oh, because one of the drums had sheep intestines to to tighten it, to snare it. Sure. Yeah. And so I said, what about cat guts? I've heard of that. And she says, it's not actually cat. Cat is short for caterpillar. What? Yep. And cat gut, meaning caterpillar silk. It's a silkworm. I don't know. It's a string. It's a silk string, basically. I have to apologize to a great number of felines, Nick. I'll be right back. No, no wonder my violin sounds terrible. <laughs> <laughs> That's really interesting. Now, I... So I've been laboring under the uh, the delusion that strings did used to be made out of gut. You're telling me that that is falsehood. Well, some strings, like the sheep gut string okay. for the snare on her drum, was actual sheep gut. Interesting. But the the term gut must have transferred over to to the cat gut part as well, I guess. Fascinating. Yeah, and I, I wonder if gut has a connotation that. That didn't necessarily mean belly, but it it, it transferred to that at some point. It, it could have been an, a, a more original etymology. Yeah, yeah, that maybe just happened to you know that, that got conflated with with the word that we use gut for right. for the insides for intestines. Yeah, yeah. Well, what a fascinating little trip down the the lane of word origin, Nick. Thank you so much yeah. for that. You know that you know that I you know that I just salivate over etymology i i am going to try every every opportunity to work in etymology now that i know how much you like it <laughs> because oh, yeah. i've always loved etymology so nick before we get to this is this is kind of a a big day for it us is. because we are transitioning mm -hmm. away from war child into a new album but before we before we dive in to that new album do you have any other news for us? Yes, I do. I've got a, a little a little update. Uh, Marley, Marley, if you don't mind. Marley. Thank you, Marley. Appreciate that. Just a quick... I got me foot caught in the tractor again. <laughs> I, I don't have a tractor, Marley. <laughs> it wasn't your tractor. Oh, okay. <laughs> I've got to go retrieve me foot now. Oh, oh, wow. Oh, it's the removable one. Yeah, that's embarrassing. It is now. <laughs> well, uh, we just thank you for that 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 piece of parchment, Very, that cat gut parchment here. Just a little, a quick disturbing. little. It, it it is. I mean, as as to be expected, we've got just a quick little email from Jeff B. <clears throat> Your emails, sir. So this is this is good old Jeffy Bubs, who is a, a regular writer inner, and this is in yeah. reference to the episode that aired last week. Okay, I was listening to your latest episode this morning and heard your reference to the release date of Glory Row. Mm. I first heard the song in the late '70s, as it was included on the album Repeat. The Best of Jethro Tull, Volume 2. Oh. I'm pretty sure that was the first release of the song, for what it is worth. I've also come to realize that I spent way too much time in my youth listening and researching Jethro Tull. God help me, please. Ha. <laughs> well, well, J Buzz, I'm afraid <laughs> you're not going to find help for that problem here. Can't, we, we can't do it. We yeah. are Tull enablers. Yeah. Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt, yeah. yeah, yeah, no shame. But yeah, I think we we try we theorized the release date of it. We we put it right in around the same time as. Oh gosh, it, it, I think we it got mixed in with a 
with a, a release in Spain or something with a an, an LP and... Right, right, right. We were talking about that. Yeah, this must be the, the first time that it was available to us in the States, I'm assuming in the late 70s. So it sounds sounds right. But it doesn't change the fact that it, it wasn't recorded or couldn't have been recorded or written for War Child around that same time. So it doesn't necessarily rule out the idea of it being a part of War Child, the, mm. the movie, you know, the soundtrack or not. Right. But a little more a little more chronological context for you there. I always love hearing the, you know, the sort of witness statements from those who were really there. Yeah, we are, we are, we are the true Tolkienologist in the sense that we are, we're looking at everything after the fact. Yeah. O- only in in the the last couple of albums, really, the last th- two or three, I think, were were from our time. In terms of our being able to to buy when they come out and, and experience firsthand, you know? Yeah. I mean, granted when we hit the, the eight, the mid eighties, we were alive then, but we certainly weren't consuming tall. If you can, if you can call that living. Oh gosh. I still don't know if I would call it living present, present day. (laughs) So, so Nick, this is, I mean, this is all just fantastic, but you know, I am, I, I have, I have a, a, a hunger inside me and that hunger can only be sated by hearing what the next batch of tall material is that we're about to get into. I just want to slice into that juicy pie. We are going to dive into the minstrel pie starting this week. We have two, about a month and a half, two months of minstrel in the gallery. Well, we're going to take a break right around Christmas to play a song off of the Christmas album, the Jethro Tull Christmas album. But, uh, but this week, we are going to start with track one off of side one of Minstrel in the Gallery. It is the titular song, Minstrel in the Gallery. Oh, boy. <laughs> Shall we have a listen, Nick? Yeah, let's dive in. The Minstrel in the Gallery Look down upon the smiling faces All right, Nick. Goodness me, Omen. That was a ride, <laughs> and I don't know if I was tall enough to ride it. I, you got on there un- unadvisedly. Yeah, I got, I got throw up on my shoes. Not happy about I, it. Sorry about that. <laughs> I always forget how long this song is. Right. Yeah, it is. It's seven minutes and change. Yeah, I think it's almost eight. Yeah, and I think that part of the reason it, we don't think of it as being that long is because it's essentially one set of lyrics that repeats. Right twice it's it's two songs it's two versions of the same song right it's the acoustic we have the acoustic we have the intro then we have the acoustic song and then we have an insane insane electric guitar break musical Mm -hmm. break Mm -hmm. and then we have the electric version of the song again i've we've seen this before haven't we haven't they done an acoustic and then they go just into like the electric version same lyrics and everything i feel like we've seen that before I think that we've seen the same idea, but not carried out to such a huge extent. Like no. I think we've seen plenty. There are plenty of tall songs where it starts out acoustic and then the electric mm. comes in, but and maybe some of the lyrics repeat. But I don't think that there's. I don't think we've seen a single one where they sing through the entire thing in acoustic yeah. and then do the entire thing in electric. Not not so prolific. It's I, I, my guess. It was it was probably something off of Aqualung. Another reason, another theory I have, another un, un, unsubstantiated theory that I have is that I, be- I believe the only kind here on Talk Told Me, the, I believe the, when this was featured on any number of best of Jethro Tulls, because I, I, I believe they have put it on there because it is a, a darn good song. Sure. I believe it, it got pared down. I think it, it, it got chopped off of the eight and they they kind of condensed it a little bit well it makes sense i mean it is a clever structure in that way that if you wanted to i don't know how much this song was on the radio but if you wanted to make it more radio friendly you could just do oh absolutely yeah the second half of it essentially right yeah 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 we will um we'll get into to minstrel history and things in in later episodes but uh sure but I think I, I think we'll see that they they must have had 
something of a of a of a single single presence. In fact, uh, they released a Minstrel in the Gallery slash Summer Day Sands LP. Oh, yeah, interesting. Which, what a, what an interesting combination. I know. Which I, oddly enough, only ever got included as a bonus track off on this album later on. Like it was never right. an original release, which seems very peculiar. I'm always fascinated by, you know, what is the logic behind the B the B sides? Is I it know. literally just like oh the whim of the moment, or is it sort of a chance to market test some of these songs? It's it, right. it's peculiar to me. Yeah, did did they test it out and said mm, nobody really liked it, so let's not put it on the album? Who knows? Or was it just like, well, you know, we didn't have space for it on the album, but we quite like it. Let's throw it on here. Oh yeah, that's a good point too. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the musical structure. And as we go, Nick, yeah, we'll we'll get more to history in later episodes, mm. but we might drop some some facts. Drop drop a fact here and there. We if... might we might for the just for the sake of ch- of a change of pace, drop a fact. <laughs> there may, may maybe some truth in this this podcast. Great trigger Caution. warning. Trigger warning. There may there may facts. be truth. <laughs> so We've already kind of talked about the structure, but let's let's delve into the details. So yeah. let's let's start from in the scratch. beginning. Yeah, in the beginning, there was an opener. There was Ian Anderson. <laughs> yeah, I love the opener on this. Yeah, so we this is not an entirely new thing from Tull. We nope. certainly had, you know, in the title track of War Child, we had a a little scene played out mm-hmm. before the official music started, and this is similar, but instead of it being a modern uh, breakfast tea yep we are suddenly transported to this kind of unspecific middle ages renaissance you know general it's a manner like it's it's a lord's manner maybe right yeah totally in which we hear the musicians being introduced right my lord and ladies we have we fortuitously <laughs> strolled upon these traveling players blah 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 blah, blah, blah. my lord and lady, we have fortuitously happened upon these uh, strolling players who provide you with their good tunes as well as to set out your. Yeah, it's probably better here. I can't see you down there, all right? I don't think they're going to like this. And at the same time, which is hilarious in itself, but then at the same time, you hear Ian a little closer to the mic saying, <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't think they're going to like this. Yeah. So, so. Ian is the the announcer and the Lord. Is that the Lord kind of like muttering to to the lady? Is that what it is? I don't know if either of those are Ian. I definitely think that the musician is Ian. Okay. I think that okay. the, the the voice that we hear close to the mic is is the players being like, "Well, here oh, we go." Oh, 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 Another. okay, yeah. <laughs> but in a time when you like you you relied on the 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 kindness and and the the payment of the the people to whom you were presenting, you know, you you, you hope and you pray, and they're they're muttering to themselves and they're like, "Oh, I don't think this is gonna work." And then and then all of a sudden the the announcement stops, and they're like, "Oh, a- applause!" And we have to uh, we have to quick we have to we have to quick perform. Well, it's a very, you know, I don't think there's anything particularly ancient about about that. I think that that no. that process is a, is fundamental to performers across the world. I mean, I've certainly been in uh, plenty of Sunday matinees where you peep out at the audience <laughs> and you think, "Oh dear God, oh, will they, will they live long enough for this? this? They're going to be asleep by the, <laughs> the middle of the first act." Yeah, <laughs> and then you hit the stage and you're like, "Hey, here's yeah. the energy." Yeah, and you just you just pray that you can get like twenty five percent of it back from them. Yeah, 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 yeah. This and you is... know you're going to be down the down the pub in a couple hours anyway. This yeah this is this is a vi- this is a very performer tongue-in-cheek kind of theme song you know this was always like a red and fair song to me that that mm. it's like this is this is kind of even though it's what 2001 or 2000 when whenever we were we were doing groundlings you know we'd do it sure. in the fair like it was it's still that kind of mindset just even if you're on stage or what but because this has that minstrel feel it, it always yeah it always appealed more to me for that than, say, when I was on stage at Hofstra, you know? Yeah, sure. It's a quick, quick Renfair anecdote. Please. 
when we were when we were youthful and performing <laughs> at the Sterling Renaissance Festival, I was obsessed with Jethro Tull in in a way that that felt a lot more desperate than now. Now I sort of am like, you know, I really like I love Jethro Tull. That's a part of me. At the time I was like, <gasps> has, has anyone heard of this band Jethro Tull? I have to talk to someone about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, we were and we were finding ourselves. We were finding we our were finding ourselves. our our existence. And I remember I was performing on the, you know, on the fairgrounds, talking to people or at people more likely. And I saw a young guy, probably about our age at the time, you know, late teens, early 20s, walking around wearing a Jethro Tull t-shirt. And I think it was, I don't know, it was a tour shirt. Uh, I, yeah. I don't really remember what it was. Probably, yeah. And I saw it and, I'm, and I was like, in my brain, I was like, I have to let this person know <laughs> That I am also a Tull fan, but I can't break character or be anachronistic. What do I do? And I remember I worked into the speech that I was giving, which was some nonsense. Something about having seen a minstrel in a gallery. And I saw him from 20 feet away <laughs> jerk his head around Ooh. and look at me. And we sort of gave each other a look. And it was like, yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, and and I, I think. I would have married that man. <laughs> but he said no. <laughs> it was not to be. I I think that that this album, while it is it is a concept album of this whole Middle Ages medieval kind of feel to it, I I've always yeah. seen it as kind of autobiographical as well. This is this is Ian, you know. Ian is yeah, the minstrel absolutely. in the gallery. It's in, and it's interesting, you know, just the the kind of architecture of of how we set up the song, a minstrel in a gallery. So yeah. in these old manners, you would have a big central room, a great room, if you will. And the, the entertainment would be up on a little balcony inside this space. So you could enjoy them, but you were also very separate from them. Yeah. And so it's interesting, you know, that he, that that's the position he puts himself in that it's like, again, this is sort of thematic for Ian. It's like, I'm part of the world and I can connect to the world, but I'm very separate from the world yeah. and I'm separated from the world. And ga gal the gallery was that balcony. A gallery is, is something where you yeah. present something, you know, an art gallery. Right. You know? yeah. yeah. This, this whole, this album starts the string of that kind of serious rock renaissance sound that we're going to see a handful going forward. I mean, it's, it starts here with this medieval middle ages, Pretty, I, would, right. I think it's safe to say it's a concept album. Sure. We skip the next album, which is Too Old to Rock and Roll, which I've always kind of considered an anomaly. That should have come before this one, I think, mm. just in terms of, of, of that sound progression. But after that, we've got Songs from the Wood. We've got Heavy Horses. We've got Stormwatch, even though Ian well, Ian has, has, has publicly said, like, Stormwatch is not concept-y renaissance like those others are. Even though a lot of people do kind of put it in, it's it's relatively similar to how critics and fans look at Aqualung as a concept, and Ian's like, nah, they all count, sound the same, but they're not a concept. Right, right, right. And then we we skip A, and then get Broadsword after that. <laughs> you you always want to skip well, A, I, Nick. I can't wait to skip A. <laughs> so I, it's interesting because we have here Ian playing overtly with some themes that he's sort of been integrating in a more subtle way previously uh -huh. th there was a, a critique of one of the albums i don't remember which one maybe it was actually i think it was thick as a brick where they they call out the the old-timey english air tune yeah. that makes its way into the song uh -huh. and so it's obviously something that's been percolating in ian's mind maybe in his subconscious maybe in his conscious but now he's clearly made a decision to go for it and to articulate it and say, yes, I somehow am connecting myself with the troubadours of the past and I'm going to wear a codpiece on stage. And, uh, here we go. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe it was all just because he wanted to wear a codpiece and he needed an excuse. You never need an excuse <laughs> to wear a codpiece, Nick. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. <laughs> thank you for, for giving me that, um, that freedom. Yeah. <laughs> And thank you for and thank you for uh, dry cleaning my later hosen. That was I mm -hmm. <laughs> really I just didn't yeah. have time this week. Yep, no, no problem. So yeah, it's a very interesting construction, and it's something that we've 
seen little tastes of before in terms of his role in this, that it's like, you know, even in, in, uh, in To Cry You a Song, mm. we have this sense, oh no, not To Cry You a Song. <laughs> I was wondering where you were going with that. Some other thing. Uh, a song about being a minstrel, you're saying? There's a song where he's like, and I'll sing you a song and it's going to be cool. Oh, we, we've got a couple of those. Hell if I can remember them off the top of my head, but it's that, it's that, that kind of breaking the fourth wall, I am a rock star singing a song to you kind of thing. Right, and I have a role. It's sort of, yeah. it's sort of like musings on his role as a musician right. in a different way than, you know, other bands at the time. And this one is a little more, this one is, is couched in that, that presentation of the minstrel thing. It's not as, as direct, but it's, it's still there. And I think it's more, it's more palpable at this point because, because you can kind of those, those ones where it is like, oh, I, I'm talking to you directly. I think we, we've had this discussion in the past. That's, that's still a character. That's still a facade of the rock star, you know? Right. But, but seeing, seeing hearing Ian talk to you directly as Ian, the rock star, it's easier to, to kind of dismiss. It's easy. Okay. Yeah. You're Ian, you're a rock star, whatever this there, there's more in there. It's, it's not as there, there's more narrative there. And it, it I think it, it clicks more than just being like, okay, rock star sing to me with minstrel. You mean? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it, it is a more effective delivery than just me talking to you. Well, sometimes when you put a mask on something, the meaning of it clear comes through more clearly. Mm. And so by him saying, rather than like, I'm a songwriter and I write songs about the world and people listen to them. It's like, yeah, no shit. Yeah. But if you say, I am a troubadour bringing tales of the outside world and, you know, I'm singing to all the peasants, you're like, oh, I am yeah. a peasant. I am listening to this troubadour. You know, it somehow it tricks your brain into seeing it more clearly. It puts it into a, a different perspective that that kind of transcends the transcends the relationship of rock star and listener, I guess. It's why Shakespeare set his plays in Italy rather than in England sometimes. Yeah. It is because okay. <laughs> then you can see yourself in it more easily. If you set, yeah. if, you, if you put the story somewhere foreign, quote unquote, or a, a, you know, a different time, mm -hmm. you can your barriers to relating to it are down. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Because if if you if it's talking about a peasant and and the the oligarchy, you you know for a fact you're clearly not the oligarchy, but you're like, I, but I'm not a peasant. <laughs> so. Right. So yeah, I, I get that. I I I understand the 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 kind of bypassing of barriers per se. Let's talk a little bit. Speaking of barriers, let's talk about Barry Moores and talk <laughs> yes. about some of the lineup for this. Yeah. We have the same lineup, same as it ever was. This is as the, as what? the previous this is album. Is this the third or fourth album at this point that we we've got the same lineup? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the answer is yes. <laughs> I think it's the fourth. I think it might be, yeah. Which is exciting. We're getting into the that really solid structure that I think lasts probably all the way up until A with with a, maybe one or two changes. Uh, and you can hear how tight they oh are, especially gosh. when we get to that instrumental break and everybody comes in. <laughs> first half of the song is really it's mostly ian i think it's yeah. ian on the acoustic guitar it's ian singing sometimes in harmony with himself it's ian playing the flute and I think maybe there's a little bit of other stuff but at, it's really at, mostly that at some point there's two acoustics i think which would probably also just be ian right but th that's the note i have on here i say this this song does a great job of working with that really beautiful, lovely Ian acoustic that we we've come to really, really love. But then it rips yes. into this this really polished electric sound that Tull has has really grown into at this point. They've really reached yeah. a solidity, and and I think e e even to the point 
beyond War Child. Like nothing in War Child sounded this, this good, this yeah, this well, well tuned. And that's a lot coming from you because you love War Child. I, I love War Child, but there, there is, there is and another even level here. Can admit that this is just like the word I'm looking for is not congealed, but I think you know what I mean. I yes. coalesce. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a coalition, coalescence of, of, of all this time that they've spent together, and, yeah. and maybe, maybe it, it may have something to do. And again, pure conjecture. It may have something to do with the fact that they're. They're not trying for something so specific on this album. Hmm. The last one was a soundtrack. What was was made for a movie? The one before that was a response to critics about a concept album. The other, hmm. the last one, the one before that was the mother of all concept albums. Maybe there's a freedom to this album, even though it is still concepty. There's there's another. Yeah, I I agree. And the, uh, there's something that I read that kind of is maybe a, a puzzle piece in all this. And that is that apparently they'd been touring for a long time together. This exact group, Ian had just divorced from Jenny Franks. Oh, yep. Mm -hmm. And he says at some point that the band was pretty unfocused when they were recording this, which means Whoa. that he took on more artistic control of it. So I wonder if there was a freedom in, instead of it being this, you know, collaboration, which can be so time consuming and so draining. Yeah. Maybe there was a freedom in just, you know, coming in and saying, all right, Ian, what do you want us to play? And he's like, I want you to play this. And it's like, great. I will play. Wow. The skin off of it. Yeah. So we, we owe a lot of, potentially we owe a lot of the, the, the sound to, to Ian on this, but this is also, this one also plants the seed of Ian being like, wait a minute. I'm Jethro Tull. Um, yeah. And this song kind of is that thesis. I am the mm -hmm. minstrel in the gallery. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Interesting. There it you is. know, what's funny, though, kind of a, a, uh, a counterpoint to all this is that Martin Barr is actually listed listed as a writer on this song. Oh, OK. And I, I don't know if that's because of music or because of lyrics or what, but it's, right. it, you know, yeah. kind of funny. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah, but but the the acoustic only lasts about two and a half minutes, so that gives us five and a half of electric. Which, I mean, if if Martin is contributing, that gives him the bulk, you know. Yeah, you know, if 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 we're to think of Martin as electric, Ian as acoustic, kind of thing. Not that Ian's sure, not sure. electric. And if, and if we say Martin wrote the electric part, then yeah, maybe he gets credit. Mm. Yeah. Nick, I sort of feel like we have talked about the music side of this. Do we want to dive into the lyrics? I just, I just want to throw in one last thing. At about three, right around three minutes, Barrymore has got some, some wonderful cowbell. That's it. Thank you. That's it. Just three Thank you for that. I appreciate three that. Three minutes. Just three, three minutes, three hits. That's uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And the only prescription is more cowbell. And everyone sounds so tight. Like, yeah, yeah it's great. Yeah, M musically, this is such a solid song. A solid, it's a solid eight minutes of 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 good song. Yeah, yeah. So let's uh, let's get into lyrics then. Okay. Before we get into like full in depth, I just want to say I've, you know, you know, we both have these these kind of. These these uncontrolled triggers of Tull, like if we think of Tull unbidden, just out of the blue, there are specific things that that'll that'll pull into our heads. Sure, the saxophone on War Child. For exactly, instance. yeah. Or in Glory Road, yeah. Polarized the pumpkin eaters is it always oh. comes into my head. I just love that line so much. Yeah. But it's it's uh, he polarized the pumpkin eaters. Yep. He polarized the pumpkin eaters. You know, I noticed that I had been hearing a lyric incorrectly all these years. Oh, tell me which lyric it was, and I'll try to guess what you what you heard it as. It's, th it's that same four-line stanza. Oh. And he brewed a song of love and hatred, oblique suggestions, and he waited. He polarized the pumpkin eaters, static humming panel beaters. He brewed a song of love and hatred. 
The bleak suggestions And he waited He polarized The pumpkin eaters Static humming Panel beaters I can't even begin to imagine what you heard. I used to think it was of bleak suggestions rather than oblique suggestions. Oh, okay. That's not so bad. You know what? I think I did too, to be honest. Yeah. Both work fairly well. Yeah. So, so maybe we were right. <laughs> so Nick, I, this is a peculiar one because I, this is, you know, there's some songs where I understand the sort of specific references, but the theme I'm like, I don't know yeah. what you're saying, yeah. Mr. Anderson. It, this is the opposite. This is like, I get the overall, mm-hmm. I get what he's saying, but some of these specific phrases, they, they baffle me. I mean, some of them are very clear. Like he met the gazes, observed the spaces in between the old men's cackle. He met the gazes, observed the spaces between the old men's cackle. Well, it sort of reminds me of when you're on stage and you know, you're, you want to have that constant rumble, that purr of the audience laughter and reaction and applause. And so when that drops out and there are the spaces, uh-huh. you you observe them. <laughs> yeah. Like, why is this person not laughing? Or just or just like, uh, there's a gap. Yep. Um, all right. Moving on. <laughs> and I, I also see observe the spaces as as the actual physical spaces, the surrounding. Like he looked out into the theater as well, not just sure. the, the, yeah. the the drop in 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 audience response yeah about half full tonight lads yeah what else but then some of them some of them are some of them are strange to me like he polarized the pumpkin eaters okay that's sort of just like a fun wordplay reference to a pumpkin eater would be a peasant i imagine eating like well what's the what's the nursery rhyme peter 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 pumpkin eater yeah oh what is that um yeah peter peter pumpkin eater had a wife but couldn't keep her kept her in something peter 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 Pumpkin <laughs> kept her. Peter Peter Pumpkin Eater had a wife but couldn't couldn't eat her. Eat her. Couldn't eat her. Had a wife but couldn't he, he put her in a pumpkin shell and there he kept her very well. Very well. Exactly. Peter Peter Pumpkin Eater had another and didn't love her. Peter learned to read and spell and then he loved her very well. What? Cuz she was a book? Possibly. Anyway, it's sort of a fun <laughs> reference to this old nursery rhyme that is that you know who knows what it's about come back to our other podcast nipple and nursery rhymes to me maybe a pumpkin eater a peter peter pumpkin eater reference i think it's more just he polarized the peasants by by giving them something to think about giving them entertainment outside of their their banal farming life yeah yeah he polarized them because either they love him or they hate him but i think that that's just sort of like a fun rhyme Yes, but sure. the next line, the static humming panel beaters. It's got to be. I got a theory, but I'm not okay. sure. Okay. Oh yeah. Okay. So this song, I think, while while again couched in that that medieval Renaissance sound, also is making references to some things that are more modern day. Absolutely. A a panel beater is someone who repairs the bodies of vehicles, you know, they beat the panel out to, to, to bust out the dent. And they're humming static because they're listening to the radio all day as they work. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Like kind of half tuning it out. Uh Uh-huh. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. That's a lot better than my half baked theory. And I'm sure Tull was, while at some points we've talked about them being for the, the intellectual, they were also a working man's classic, well, they weren't classic at the time, a working man's rock and roll on the radio. And we do have a number of other references to that, to that group in this song. He titillated men of action, belly warming, hands still rubbing on the part they never mentioned, salaried and collar scrubbing. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot to unpack there. He titillated men of action, belly warming, Still rubbing on the parts they never mentioned. Salary and collar scrubbing. Collar scrubbing means that you only have one work shirt, and so you scrub the collar because that's the bit that gets the dirtiest. Right. Salaried is you're a, you're a white collar 
you you get paid well, collar scrubbing is your blue collar. I don't necessarily think that salary necessarily means someone who gets a lot of pay. I think it just means someone whose position is rel- is secure. Oh, okay. They have a position. It may be as the you know, a, a janitor is a is salaried. Okay. Sure. And I think that men of action is sort of like in quotation marks because he follows it up with belly warming, hands still rubbing on the parts they never mentioned. For me, that that conjures very much an image of. I don't know if you ever saw this, Nick, but I'm, I had a I had a friend whose dad was a truck driver, mm-hmm. and whenever he would come home, he would just immediately collapse onto the couch with his belly up in the air and his his hand on his crotch, like just like. <laughs> Just like standard and then like be there for the entire weekend. Yeah. And that's like a very standard sort of like, I am done working. I'm not going to do anything. And so it's funny to call that a man of action. But th- anyway, maybe that's just my brain. I No, I get it. And and man of action to me was like, you're working all the time. That's the action is, is right. you, you, yeah, there's yeah. no downtime except for when you, you pass the heck out. It's something to enjoy when you're off. Yeah. When you have to activate your JTOL protocol. That's it. Nappy, suffering, infant, bleating, one-line jokers. He pacified the nappy, suffering, infant, bleating, one-line jokers. I mean, to me, that sounds like people who have young children. Yep. TV documentary makers, overfed and undertakers. TV documentary makers, overfed. Now that's a little bit more mysterious to me, Nick. I think I'm not sure about the undertakers unless it's it's specifically saying undertakers like the profession undertakers or the documentary makers undertake certain things. But I, I think that's he's I mean, he's listing the people that he appeals to. He's listing the people to whom he performs. At this point. Right. It's like, yeah, he's standing on the stage and he's scanning the crowd. So yeah. I guess we could say it's, there is some diversity in it, but it's, but he's, def- he's defining it in a way, in a, in a poetic, rhymy, silly way. And it's interesting that he, he does it sort of without judgment is, I mean, like family scarred and women haters next to Sunday paper backgammon players. Yeah. Sunday paper backgammon players. Family scarred it's interesting. It's sort of like it's sort of like saying, articulating the thing which is true, which is that as a performer, you don't really choose your audience. Right. Yeah. You produce the the content, and then they come to you, or not, or not. Right. Yeah. But but it's not like you can say this is my audience. This is who I want to perform for. Right. Until you've really established yourself, you know, and you and you know who that audience is. But there will always be outliers. Nick, I don't know if I've ever told you this. There is actually no vetting process to listen to Talk Tall to Me. Anyone can download it. And that was, you know, that was a goal from the beginning. You know, that was they, a decision we made. They want, they wanted to throw money at us. They wanted to make it so twenty dollars subscription a month. Yeah, and we said no. No, this is this is for the good of the people. This is for this is, the Sunday paper backgammon players. That's right. Have you ever played backgammon? I think my dad taught me a long time ago. Yeah, in like middle school, high school era, we had a really nice backgammon set. I never, I never quite cottoned on to it. I think I enjoyed it when I did know how. Yeah, but do you, do you, do you understand that reference? Sunday paper backgammon players. No. So every every Sunday, and I don't think they do backgammon anymore, but I think I've seen chess and things. They, in like the activities section of like the kind of lighter hearted, there's the comics and the puzzles sure. and stuff like that. And the puzzles. Yeah. Word, crosswords and stuff. Right, yeah. There would be a, a, a backgammon setup or a chess setup saying this is where all of the pieces are set and you need to win in this number of moves. Mm, write in and tell us how you how you did it and we'll select a winner or, or it's something. just for you to solve on your own uh, you know it's solitaric it's only solitaire the days before the internet Nick were truly devastatingly dull weren't they oh my gosh yeah yeah uh, su- Sunday paper backgammon players that's what that I, I'm I, I'm pretty confident that's what that reference is 
Yeah, I, I think that's great. Great perspective there. You know, Nick, there's one more line that I want to pull out of all this that I really enjoy. Sure. And he threw away his looking glass and saw his face in everyone. Yeah. The men saw in the gallery. Looked down on the rabbit and And he threw away his looking glass. Saw his face and held Welcome to Anecdote Time with Uncle Oman. This notion of the audience being your mirror is really interesting. And I remember when when I was studying Commedia dell'arte in Europe, we were, you know, all trying to work with these masks, these half masks. And the big struggle was you don't know what you look like and you're trying to make these bold images, mm. but you it's hard to understand what you look like. Sure. And we said to our t- our teacher at one point, this Spanish guy who dedicated his life to Commedia dell'arte, we were like, Oh, can't we use a mirror, Carlos? And he was like, the audience is your mirror. Look into their eyes and you will see what you are, you know, what you look like, basically. Yeah. And at first I was like, that's some rich nonsense. Like, <laughs> I don't understand. And in years to come, I have understood it more fully uh, sure. as I've developed as a performer. Yeah. When you are on stage, you really, if you really look at the audience, you really can see what is on stage through looking at them. Yeah. Yes, yeah, assuming assuming everyone on the stage has the chops to empathically share those emotions and 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 make the audience feel it, like yeah, it sh- it should be a mirror image, absolutely. But you can also look into the audience and see, oh my god, no one understands a, a damn thing that's going on, right? <laughs> or they hate me, or they hate that I'm yelling so loudly. That's that's when you you poop yourself on stage, and then you see the reflection of that, Nick. Oh, yeah. I I, no. I like I like that. I also see it as more. He threw away his looking glass. That he he didn't need to inspect every single person anymore because he he could rule. It was safe to assume that that everyone shared his feelings. That that he he was an everyman just like they are. Mm. That that's that's how I've always seen it. Is that that he related with them just as much, regardless of who they are in their profession or or things like that. So. I wonder if this kind of marks a change in the development of Ian Anderson, where, whereas previously a lot of the songs were about him, you know, one way or another, they were really like his perspective on his unique perspective on things, uh-huh. you know, his imagination, the way that he saw the Ham- Hampstead Fair and, you know, like everything that was going on in his head or, or I'm doing this thing, I'm flying across the country to cry you a song like, and maybe this is a, a moment when we're seeing him turn outward and really look to the outside world for inspiration. Mm. Hilarious that I'm saying this because it's literally a song about himself. Right. But, but it's, but it's less, it's less selfish. It's, uh, it's yes, it's about me, but I'm doing this for you. Yeah. It's more open. It's more like, Oh, here I am standing in front of this person and this person and this person and this person. Oh my God. They're all individuals with lives. But, but they're, but they're all just like me. Yeah. Yeah. We're all the same, dude. We are we are all Jethro Tull. I am Jethro Tull. I am Jethro Tull. Ian Anderson would, would probably have a, a, a legal <laughs> argument against that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Le- yeah. His lawyers say otherwise. <laughs> but we know in our hearts. Secretly. Yeah, his lawyers and all of his Facebook posts. <laughs> secretly, quietly, don't tell anyone, but I am Jethro Tull. <laughs> I'm Jethro Tull. <laughs> well, Nick, I, I have nothing to add uh, about this song that we have so many facts to get into. There's so many juicy, yeah. interesting details about this album and I can't wait to talk, tell to you about them. Yeah, we will, next we will, week. we will definitely dive into a little bit more of the history and, and what have you uh, later on for sure. Yeah. But for now, that's it for minstrel in the gallery. <laughs> Next week, do you remember off the top of your head, can you guess what the next one is? Or do you know for a fact? Is it, is it, is it something about a duck? No, that's, that's later. That's, that's okay. track one off of side B. 
Ah, okay. I I, uh, I give up. Cold Wind to Valhalla. <gasps> oh, yeah. I love that song. All of the songs on this album are really beautiful. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out on a limb and say they're really gosh darn beautiful. Yeah. So we will be your minstrel in the gallery of your ears. And you will accept us into your ears and your hearts and your heads and your iTunes accounts. Toss us a golden coin if you enjoyed our performance, dear listeners. In fact, toss us five golden star coins into the hat of a rating. And if you want the if you want to flex on the duchy of the next kingdom over, send a, a written response to our podcast saying how much you like it, and you will make everyone else jealous, and they'll have to have a talk tell to me as well. Yes. And then we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll become po- the popular minstrels. Yeah. We, we will. Yeah. Yeah. Until next week, I am the mountebank performing under the name Omen Said. I am the mummer known as Nick McGill. We are the traveling troupe called Feckless Momes. And this is the Snake Oil Salesman podcast. Talk tall to me. My lord and, and lady, we, we have happened in our travels to come upon a, a traveling minstrel who, who has a, an etymologically significant poem about uh, Peter, Peter, Peter Pumpkin Eater. It is the original. It is in uh, Scottish. Yeah. Now, yeah. now if, you, if you don't mind, my, my lord and lady, for your entertainment... Peter, my neighbor, had a wife, and he could not keep her. He pat her in the wah, and lot of the mice ate her.